Hey, good morning, you guys. Good morning on this uh, Sunday morning. Hope you're doing well. Hope things are going good for you in your life. And uh, through the highs and the lows of, of life, just want to welcome you this morning to uh, our study of God's Word. And uh, as we continue to dig together, shout out to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, lots of moms, lots of moms in our lives, you know, all over the place from our own moms to uh, maybe our uh, our wives and our uh, our in-laws and outlaws and all the moms that are connected, our aunts and people that are a part of our life that um, have had children. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you. That's on a happy note. On a sad note. This morning, I um, want to uh, shout out to my good friend, George Adrian. Uh, his mother um, passed away this weekend on Mother's Day weekend. And just want George and the family to know we're praying for you. And uh, Lillian Adrian, beautiful woman, great mom, a lot of fun growing up right next door to each other. Our families did a lot of fun stuff just in our neighborhood and Knew each other, played all kinds of sports and things together, went to school together. And uh, so we will miss Lillian and, and uh, praying for you, George, and for your family. We are talking about All In, which uh, we should take a little more serious every time uh, we lose somebody in this world to death. And and it's not a shocker you know, to us. We all know this is where it's going to end. We're all going to end there, right? Death is kind of in all of our futures. My question is what's next? Like my hope is that we will be prepared for what's next that we won't put off preparing for what's next. That we'll always be mindful that one day I'm going to leave the planet and I want to prepare for eternity. And that's why this challenge is so important out of first John John is challenging the, lead, the, the, the readers as God is challenging you and me today to be all in with him, like all in with him, like let go of everything that you think is important and just hold on to the Lord. Hold on to Jesus. He's writing to this, uh, these Christians in Ephesus, these house churches that are all over the place. He's writing them this letter later on in his life. And he is um, encouraging them and reassuring them of their faith, that their faith in Jesus is solid, uh, that, that he as an apostle is an eyewitness to who Jesus was. He actually walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. They touched Jesus, high five Jesus. I mean, they knew Jesus like personally, like good friends with Jesus. He was very much flesh and blood and human and God. And they got to witness and they got to experience Jesus on the earth. And John's now saying, look, you can trust our word. You can trust what we experienced and how we lived and, and, and what happened and the things that Jesus did. And so John's trying to encourage them that Jesus is the word of life. And that's a very important phrase, the word of life. He is the word of God that became life. He became one of us, the Word of God, became flesh and blood and lived for a while among us. And so John's, 
John's trying to really encourage these followers in their faith to hold on to Jesus no matter what comes your way, no matter what highs and lows of life happen, because they are going to happen. We're all going to experience these things. John's trying to encourage them, just hang in there, trust God, hold on to Jesus, and you're going to be fine. Now, here's our challenge. We're in chapter two, and here's our challenge for us today in this challenge that, that we live in a world of people and you probably noticed this and you've probably seen this and you may we're probably guilty of this ourselves so we're, we're not excused from this situation but a lot of people who say one thing and do another I know there's times that we all do this I've done this say one thing to our kids and we do something different don't do this and we do it or we proclaim to people that this is how we ought to be, but we don't do that ourselves. So in some way, we're all guilty. It's a very much, we live in a very much do as I say, not as I do world. Do as I say, not as I do. We, we just are that way. So here is John's challenge for you and me today as we open up chapter two. Does what you say match what you do? Does what you say match what you do? We're in John 2, verses 1 to 6. Let me read it. My little children, John says, My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have a counselor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commands, one who says, I know him and doesn't keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But God's love has most certainly been perfected in whoever keeps his word. This is how we know that we are in him. He who says he remains in him ought himself also to walk just like he did, just like Jesus did. Now, this is pretty tall marching orders if you look at this and you think about this. I mean, this is a, this is a high bar that not just John is giving to the readers in Ephesus in these churches. You know, you can imagine they're reading this letter for maybe for the first time. And they're, they're really just meditating, thinking about what, what is John saying to us? What does this mean for our life? What does this truly mean? How do we live this out? How do we begin to live out the word of God in our life? So you can imagine if you put yourself in their shoes, the intensity that they're trying to, to figure out, like how, how can we do this? And that same intensity you and I should have as we strive to do God's word as well, right? We, we should strive to do this. So a real tall marching order. And here in chapter two, John is kind of going to take things to another level that he did in chapter one. Earlier, John said, if you say, if you say things, but you don't do them, you're a liar. Here, he's going to say, if you say things and you don't do them, 
you're a liar. You're a liar. If you say but don't do, you're a liar. Now, if you don't do, you're a liar. So whether we say it or we don't do it, either way, we are liars. So John is encouraging every Christian to really consider their life, what they do, what they say, how they act, how they behave, their lifestyle. And he's encouraging them to go all in, to say what you believe and then do what you say. To be people of integrity, people of good moral character, that I say I trust God, I'm living for God, I follow God, and now my life is going to line up under the word of God. I am going to live out the truths, the commands, the guidelines, the teachings of Jesus. Anything less is not living in the light. See, John's whole thing is if you're going to live in the light, then you got to be all in. You cannot be part in in the light. You're either all in or you're all out. But don't fool yourself. Don't, don't make yourself a liar by saying you're in but not living as if you are in. Now, we're not saved by disobedience, so let's kind of get that straight in our minds. We're not saved by disobedience, like that isn't what brings us into a relationship with Jesus, but it is, it is very much the proof of your salvation. It is the mark of a transformed life that we obey the teachings of Jesus. The evidence of God's light growing and glowing in you is that you are lining your life up with the teachings of God. Jesus in you, when Jesus is in you and the light of God is in you and he has come to make his home in you, you are now in the flow of his mission. You are now going to carry out what he began. There's no other way around it. You are going to live your life according to the truth and the will of God. No more living for me. It is all for him. Either all in for him or not in at all. Too many times we want to play games with God. We want to be parted with God and we want to be parted with the world. We want to enjoy the fruit and the benefits of both. God says that's not, that's not going to work. That isn't what God did for you. He is all in for you. And he will accept nothing short of all in for him. That's just the way it is. This is complete surrender, total abandonment of self. And this is, I am going to live my life for the Lord. And that's it. That's what I'm going to do. Kingdom children, mission-minded followers, sons and daughters of the Lord, of God's. That's what we are. We are his children. So we're going to live our lives to honor and to please him. Look at verse 1. John says, first three words, my little children, my little children. This is like Grandpa John coming out, right? He comes out. This is John later in his life. He's older. He's more settled in. He's probably close to dying at some point in the near future. At least he's closer to dying than he is birth. We all are going to get there. We're there. If you're in my generation, you're in your 60s area, we're getting close. The day is going to come, our parents are passing away or have in the last bunch of years, 
and, and we're next. It's just the flow of life. It's the way it goes. And there's what John is. He's at the end. And so he's very like, he's very fatherly. He's very grandpa-ish with his writing. And so he says, my, my little children, like this is a term of endearment, right? Like love and tenderness. And he uses this term, my little children, six times in this letter. Fatherly love, this parental love, this, this like, like, like a mom loves her children. This is like a dad loves his grandchildren, like just so awesome and warm and tender, like my little sheep. And then look what he says. I write these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have a counselor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is our counselor. He is our counselor before the Father. You think about the court of law, you think about somebody who, who represents somebody else in, in a law situation. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for you and me. He has become, by his death, burial, and resurrection, he has become yours and my counselor as we stand before the Father and give an account for our actions. So we have got to hold on to Jesus as tight as we can because you and I are not good. We are evil, we are selfish, we are worldly, we deserve death and separation. We do not deserve to go to heaven and be in paradise or the kingdom of God for eternity. We do not deserve that. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short. Jesus is the perfect one, and he is our counselor. So here we have, if you look at these, these words, what we have here is the cancer and we have the cure. We have the cancer and we have the cure. The goal of being in Jesus is grace and truth, right? The goal of being in the word of life and having the word of life living in us is so that we will not sin. I write to you so that you will not sin. God has given you his Holy Spirit. Jesus' truth is living in you. And all of that power, all of that direction, all of that light is so that you will stop living lives of selfishness and sinfulness. So that we will not sin. This is the goal. This is the expectation. The bar has been raised to live a sinful Excuse me, to live a sinless life, not a sinful life, but a sinless life. That, that's a high goal, isn't it? This is the goal that God has for you and me. Now, I know what we're already thinking. There's no way in tarnation because on a daily basis, I've got bad thoughts. I've got evil thoughts. I, I react to situations in ways I should not. My attitude isn't always good. So I know that's, this is a high order. This is a high bar. Nearly impossible, probably is impossible for human beings like you and me. But look, Jesus demonstrates 
what perfection looks like by coming and living a sinless life, being made perfect and, and dying as a perfect person. So he, he demonstrates that this can be done with, with good focus. We could, at least, at, at the very least, we can be better off today than we were yesterday with our commitment to, to God, our, our commitment to, to understanding and knowing his word and, and letting his word like dwell in us and move in us and, and transform us into thinking more and more like Jesus. Like this is his goal for you and me, that we may not sin. This is what he's hoping for for you and me, that we'll stop rebelling against him. And now he's given us everything we can to kind of fight that battle, to strive toward that. Even though we're going to mess up at times and, and, and fall short of that, we can do better than we did yesterday, right? That's God's hope for us. And we'll be more and more like Jesus. It's his goal. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the expectation that we would aim for perfection. We would aim for the excellence of God and the, 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 the truth of God, that that would be our what our eyes are fixed on and we're going to live our lives every day to try and aim at that. If you aim at failure, you're going to hit it every time. But if you aim at perfection, you may not hit it every time, but we're going to hit it more than we would if we weren't aiming at it. So we're going to aim at perfection. James said like this, let steadfastness, this, this holding on to God, have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's a tall order too, James says. Look, this is God's will for us, that we would be more and more like Jesus, that the things that are going on in our world, in our life, things that happen to us are going to hone us, make us better, right? They're going to they're gonna keep chipping away the, the, the crust and the, the, the sickness and the cancer and the sinfulness and the selfishness. And we're going to be, we're going to come out of that more and more perfected and complete, not lacking anything. One day, we're, we're moving in that direction, though. That's the direction God wants us to be moving. It's the only direction that we're allowed to move if we claim to be in Christ. And Paul said in Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained all this. What he's talking about is this full knowledge of Jesus and experience of the power of the resurrection. But Paul says, or am already perfect, because Paul's like, I'm not. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What did Jesus take hold of you for? Well, he loves you, right? He loves us. He wants us to spend eternity with him. He looks at our sin and he, he's disgusted at that. And so he's, he's provided everything that we need to be forgiven and cleansed and made holy again so that we can come back into this relationship with him. But now as we finish our time on this earth, he wants us to live holy, to aim at perfection, to strive to be like Jesus, to, to take hold to take hold of what Jesus has taken hold of you for. See, God's great hope for you and me 
is that you and I would aim at Christ-likeness, that we would try our best every day, every minute, as we live with all of our will to strive to be all in and strive for Christ-likeness. So, how much, how much do you, how much do we aim at perfection? How much do we aim at perfection? This is our bar, and, and we mustn't let the world replace God's bar with a lower bar. We don't, we don't get to exchange the bar of God that he has for mankind with some lower bar or change his, his guidelines and his, his uh, creative order. We don't get to do that. He's got the bar set. We have to aim at it. And, and we're not going to allow the devil to tell you or to tell me that we can't do it. We're not going to accept we're not going to accept that we're just human and I'm just going to mess up. No, we're not going to accept that. We would never do that in any other area of our life. We would never tell our child, look, you're probably going to fail the test at school, so don't even try. We would never do that. We would never, if you played baseball, you would never get in the batter's box. If you get in the batter's box thinking you're going to strike out, you're going to strike out. You have got to have this sense of, I am going to succeed. I am going to aim at making this happen. And I'm going to do everything within my power to make this happen. See, we, we know we're going to fall short. Okay, we, we already know that. It's kind of like we already know we're going to die one day and we're going to leave the planet. And we're going to face God. We know that, right? But we don't, we don't sit there waiting for that moment to happen. We live until that happens. We know we're going to aim for perfection. We know we're going to slip and we're going to mess up. God has made this awesome provision for you and for me just in case we slip up, in case we mess up. That's what he's talking about here. Look at these words. In fact, we may not get much past this passage today. I'm looking at my clock here and we're, we're, we, may, we may not get far further than this verse right here because there's so much right here for us to kind of grab onto. He's made a provision for you. Do you see it? I write these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the goal. However, if anyone sins, God has made a way. He's made a way. Grace has made a way for you to be forgiven of your sin. For you to stay in the presence of God, even though you've messed up again. You see that? The goal of Christ's sacrifice is forgiveness. That's what Jesus died on a cross for, so you and I could be forgiven of our wickedness and our sinfulness, so we can come back into the presence of God, into this, the presence of a holy God. But if I do mess up, or should I say when I mess up, because I will, I'm not going to plan on it or try to, but I'm going to, just part of the way Life goes, right? We know it's going to happen. If I do, we have a counselor. We have this person, Jesus, who came, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, rose from the dead. His blood covers my sin. And if I hold on to Jesus, I accept Christ as Lord and Savior of my life, and he truly is the one I'm living for, 
then I have this counselor with the Father, Jesus, who is the righteous one. He is my advocate. He's my go-between. He's the one who steps up and says, he's good to go. His, he's accepted me, Jesus, as, as a Savior and Messiah. And so his sins are forgiven and God says, come on in. But only in holding to Jesus. There's nobody else in the world that has ever lived or will ever live that can be that counselor person. Nobody can stand between you and God, only Jesus. Salvation is only found in him. Buddha, Muhammad, no other religion, no other religion is going to give you the forgiveness that you need to stand in the presence of a holy God who created it all. Only the Son of God who proved over and over again that he has authority over everything and truly is the Son of God by his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why, that's why the apostles are so big on this idea of the resurrection because nobody else has power over death. Only the Son of God is the only one. Before when we sinned, we were doomed. We were in trouble. We were headed for hell because we were stuck in our sin. But now in Jesus, because of what he has now done and the grace that has come to the earth, we now can have forgiveness and mercy and grace. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. We have a counselor who will represent us before the Father, and his name is Jesus the Christ. He is the righteous one who stands in the place of me, the unrighteous, and you, the unrighteous, all of us. Verse 2. Verse 2. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, right? This is like, in case that didn't get it, check out what he did. And not, not, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Like, like Jesus, no one else can give us what Jesus can give us. The atoning sacrifice for my sin. That's what Jesus is for me. He is our propitiation. The atoning sacrifice. He, he is made at one mint possible that I can come back into a oneness relationship or unity again with the one who made me in his image. Jesus is the reconciler, the one who brings the two back together to be one again. He provides this, the one who satisfies the debt that I owe. The payment for sin was was due the payment for mankind's sin. Your payment for sin would be due upon death as you stand before God and he says, you are guilty of sin, depart from me. Jesus now is the one who made the payment for your sin. And the payment is right there. All you have to do is receive it and accept it and, and live your lives for him. Let Jesus be the counselor that paid the debt for your sin. You have to accept that in your life. Not just my sin, but for the sins of anyone, for anyone in the world. Right? Every people group, every tribe, every nation, every race, every creed, doesn't matter your color, doesn't matter any of that. Jesus died for all men. 
so that we can live our lives holding on to him as our counselor so that the day we stand before the Father on Judgment Day, Jesus is our counselor. In his atoning sacrifice, God the Father is, is satisfied. That's key. He is satisfied with the death, the burial, and the life, and the resurrection of Jesus. And now we accept him, and he becomes our death, our burial, our resurrection, and our debt is paid. And God now can look at us through Jesus, and we're, we're safe and secure from him, in him, in Jesus. Mankind's debt of sin has been paid in full. Anyone, anywhere can, can come to heaven, but you must do it in a relationship through Jesus. The wrath of God has been turned away. But I have to tell you, the rebellious, sinful, dark, world all around us there is another wrath coming like the wrath of original sin not just original sin but our participation in sin on the planet that brought about rebellion that that turned God away from us because of our sinful humanity that wrath has been turned away but now there's another wrath that's going to come to those who don't who do not live according to the grace that God has given to us. He has given us Jesus, right? He's given us the Son of God. Jesus came and he suffered and he died. And if we don't accept that, there is another wrath that is going to come upon mankind because of the recklessness of mankind, because of the flaunting of sin and evil in the face of God, and the disrespect shown toward Jesus and his sacrifice for you and me and all of mankind on the cross. Like, it's one thing to be sinners before the coming of Jesus and needing a Savior. It's quite another to continue the rebellion after Jesus has come and his sacrifice has been made. We don't want to continue to sin and be rebellious toward God. So we will either, we will either choose to come under the atoning sacrifice of Christ and line ourselves up under his authority to obey and honor him, or we will be crushed by the coming wrath of God reserved for the disobedient, the evil, and the rebellious. The perfect sacrifice of God's only Son, this once and for all atoning sacrifice, is yours and my only, only hope. And so John's like, do you know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? And more than that, how, how is it that you know Jesus? And we're going to get to verse 3 and 4 next week. God bless you guys. Have an amazing, amazing, amazing week. And let's keep moving our lives and our mind and our heart toward going all in, all in for God, all in every little aspect of our life, that everything that makes up our life would be in submission to Jesus and to the, the Lord 
our God. Have a great, great week. Happy Mother's Day again. See you next time.